Hello and welcome to the Author Blur Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Maynard, and today I talk with Brian Storm. Brian was a fun person to speak with. We talk about his two books, The Struggle 10 Years Later, which is, I guess you could call it almost a second edition of his first book with a add-on to it. He's very interesting to talk to. I enjoyed listening to him discuss his book about the challenges he went through, about the different things to help him and what he feels will help others get off of drugs. He also wrote a children's book to help people or help kids learn to follow rules, stay away from bad kids that are not going to be in their best interest. Brian was a good, fun person to talk with. I'm happy that he came on the show, and I'm happy to be able to share his story with you. With that being said, listen to Brian and I have a conversation about his books. Go out and buy them. Go out and enjoy what he has to offer in the sense of he has a website, he has social media following, and you can find all of his information on authorblurb.com where you can find profiles of all the authors I talk with. So thank you. Hope you enjoy. I don't really have any updates for the show to give you. So we're just going to jump right into the interview. Thank you again. So I'm here with Brian Storm. Brian has a memoir and a children's book. And as everyone knows, it's much easier for the authors to get into their own books and about themselves. Brian, I've looked into your books. I've looked into you. You sound like you have an interesting story, and I'm looking forward to hearing about it. Can you tell us a bit about yourself and about your book so we can go into the conversation? Sure, yeah. Uh, first of all, thanks for having me on the show, Eric. I really appreciate it. Um, and like you said, my name is Brian Storm. Um, I'm a recovering addict and alcoholic. I have 13 years clean and sober. Uh, I'm married to a wonderful woman. We rescue animals. Uh, I work at the public library, Free Library of Philadelphia. So, you know, I'm surrounded by books all the time, <laughs> like all day long, literally, you know. Right. And, um, you know, the, the reason why I wrote my memoir, my, my memoir is an addiction memoir. And I wrote it to try to help other addicts and alcoholics. And, um, you know, I, I originally wrote this book 10 years ago. And... I didn't know anything about writing back then, okay? I was newly sober. I just kind of ran it through Microsoft Spell Checker and called it a day, you know? <laughs> right. People came back to me and they were like, look, it's a good story. It's a good book, but, you know, you're missing words and you have commas all in the wrong place. And, you know, so there was a lot of uh, grammar errors and stuff, right? So I always told myself I'm going to rewrite it. So when I rewrote it this time, I, you know, now I, I went to college, you know, I have uh, writing courses, so I know a lot more about writing now. So I rewrote it and really revamped it. And when I wrote it this time, I, I kept non-addicts in mind, too, because I realized that it wasn't just addicts and alcoholics who were reading it. It were people who never did drugs in their life were reading this book, you know? So right. when, I, when I rewrote it, I was like, well, I'm going to keep that in mind. And like my audience now is both addicts and non-addicts. So that even if someone has never did a drug in their life, they can read this book and like realize what goes through an addict's mind when they're getting high and why they continue and why they can't stop. Because I really wanted everyone to understand because it's important for, for addicts, you know, to move forward and really get the help they need if, if non-addicts can understand and really help them like that, you know? understand so now 
Well, here's the one thing that I do kind of question is when you wrote this, was it was it focused on the original draft? You wrote it, you unpublished it. It's no longer available, like we said, in the yeah. United States. Is So here's where I kind of have a question is the first book is it much different from the rewrite or are they two totally different books? Uh, yes and no. Um, so like the first half of this new book is pretty much the same as the, like the story is the same. Okay. All like right. I, I rewrote it. I restructured it, you know, so it, it's just written a lot better, but the, this new book also includes the last 10 years of my life because a lot has happened in the last 10 years, you know? Um, mm -hmm. and, you know, I had like like my my brother died, my dad died, I got married, all this stuff. So I, I want to include all that when I rewrote this book too, just to give people an update on where I am. Understand. So, just so everyone knows, the book of your your book's name is my, is the, it my struggle or the struggle? The me. struggle. The struggle. Ten years later. Right, and I knew it was. 10 years later, which picks up 10 years after you've already been clean, you've gone yeah. through, and you discuss, if I'm not mistaken, AA, the yeah. challenges of addiction, all yeah. these things. So let's start off with the beginning of this book, The Struggle, 10 years later. The beginning of it, I'm assuming, starts with you either being addicted or getting starting to deal with your addiction and getting over it or not getting over it, but addressing it so that you can manage and move on with a healthy lifestyle. Where do we start with your book? Where's, where do you start writing? So when so I open it up, am I looking at, you're still doing crazy, whatever, and God knows what, or is it you're in AA trying to get, get help? Well, I started the book pretty much dead smack in the middle. <laughs> you know, um, I opened up this thing because I wanted really to grasp the reader from the beginning, really. Um, what I did was I, I talked about the lowest, one of the lowest points of my life when I was ready to commit suicide. And I actually tried to overdose on purpose. And when that didn't work, I stepped onto the train tracks and waited for a train to come. Um, I had a I had a phone call from an ex-girlfriend while I was on that train tracks and she kind of talked me off the tracks. And then like the, the the train went speeding by as soon as I stepped off. And I wanted people to realize how close I was to death. Because it it's not it's not abnormal for an addict to want to commit suicide, to not want to go on living anymore because the struggle is so real, you know? They they just can't deal with the pain and, and the torture. But then after that, I opened up from the very beginning of my life, pretty much like, you know, how I was raised, you know, I had a good family, you know, that I, I can't I never experienced childhood trauma. And then I slowly talk about how I got into drinking, how I started smoking weed, how, you know, stuff like that, pretty much. Right. And I think in all truth, I think a lot of people, when they think of somebody that's an addict or going through those things, they think of somebody who has basically dealt with like had a bad upbringing or their parents were addicts or things like that and yeah. i mean like i'll tell you when i was younger a teenager and even 
early 20s, I was heavy into drinking. My teen years, I was starting to get really big into drugs and weed and things like that. And I know how easily it could have been to go through and continue on. And yeah, that's like you said, you said you came from a good upbringing, good family. And a lot of people don't realize that you don't have to have a bad background to be addicted. It's a whole thing. Do you discuss your upbringing in your book, the things you've dealt with growing up that you felt affected you one way or another? Yes, absolutely. Um, Like I said, I I talked about how, like, you know, I grew up in a pretty normal. I mean, there's no such thing as normal household, (laughs) but I mean, it was fairly normal. You know, I just I grew up in a little neighborhood in, in, in Philadelphia. You know, what I mean, I had both parents. They weren't addicts. My dad was actually a cop. You know, um, but I think I think my addiction was um, really caused by low self-esteem because, you know, I had like kids who would sometimes pick on me a little bit and I wouldn't stand up for myself. You know, and I always felt a little different. I felt like uh, people didn't like me. I felt like I wasn't good at sports, felt like I wasn't funny, like girls thought I was ugly. But when I when I drank and smoked weed, I felt like a totally different person. You know, so I always wanted to be drunk and high because I didn't like who I was when I was sober, but I loved who I was when I was drunk. Oh, I understand. And like I said, when I was a teen, I went through the same thing. And I think a lot of teens go through the same issue, insecurities and things like that. So when did you, after you got out of school, when or while you were in school, when did you start really realizing you had a problem? Uh, I think it was shortly after my mother died. Um, my mom died when she was when I was 20 years old. And after that, I started doing harder drugs like cocaine and, um, and Percocets and stuff. And that's when I really realized, like, oh, man, like, I got to do something. Because shortly after that, like, I started seeing my friends overdosing. I, I started seeing some of my friends going to jail. And I was just like, my life was going nowhere. Like, I saw myself, okay, I'm doing the same things that my friends are doing, you know? So I'm going to end up dead or I'm going to end up in jail. So I was like, I need to do something. And I tried to slow down. That didn't work. I tried replacing one drug with another drug. That didn't work. I tried to just drink and do nothing else. That didn't work. I tried to run away to the military. That didn't work. It was like nothing I was doing would, would was working, you know what I mean? Right. Well, from everything I understand, it's a void that you're trying to fill that's unfillable yes. is what I've heard a lot of people describe it as. And I was lucky I kind of got away from that area when I was young or I would have probably been in a similar or it could have been in a similar situation. So where what do you actually explain to people in your book, what's it pointing out? Am I, once you, you said you start off where you just step off the tracks, the yeah. train rushes by. Do you discuss what you did to actually try to get away from drugs? You said you went to military, tried drinking, tried all these things, which the alcohol and different drugs, I don't see helping. Military, I have no idea the environment in there but 
I mean, what was it, was your first step to actually recovering? And when do you actually start talking about that? Uh, I started talking about that pretty much like halfway through the book. I, I start, um, because it got to the point where I was selling drugs um, on a street corner in Philadelphia here. Like it's an open market drug corners that we have. So mm-hmm. I, I was getting arrested left and right. And I'll, I would go to jail, I'll get out the next day or I'll go to jail and someone will bail me out. But the last time I, I went to jail, um, my bail was too high and nobody could bail me out. And they sent me to something called treatment court, which is like commonly known as drug court. And the drug court sent me to rehab. So, you know, because I tried to rehab things before, but I would always like climb out the window in the middle of the night or, you know, just not halfway through the side. I don't want to go no more. And But this time I was like, you know what? I'm done because... I hit rock bottom while I was in jail. I was I was addicted to heroin by this point, and I had to go through withdrawal, cold turkey in a in a cold jail cell, you know. And it's it's something I would not wish on my worst enemies. It's literally like a form of torture, like it literally could be. And I told myself I'm I'm never doing this again. So when I got to rehab, I actually started listening to people. And actually went in there with an open mind and started taking suggestions. And that's that's what really led me on to my road to recovery. All right. And what was it that once you got out, what did you do? What steps do you discuss in your book that you took? Because I know in the description I saw you discuss AA. Yes. I think on your website there's something about murder about robbery about all these things happening which i assume is in the first half of the book so what i mean can you give us an idea of what to expect between recovery recovery and getting into recovery or from addiction into recovery sure yeah when when i was in the rehab uh people from from like na and aa they they came and and they would share their stories with us and they would talk about like the 12 steps and how we should go to meetings after we get out of rehab. So that's exactly what I did. After I got out of rehab, I, I started hanging out with people who would go to these meetings, you know, because a lot of the employees at their at the rehab were going to these meetings. So I would tag along with them and I, I ended up taking all their suggestions. I, they told me to get a sponsor. So I got a sponsor. They told me, you know, start working on these steps. I started working on the steps, you know. Um, I started helping other people. That was a big thing, really, because that's really what keeps alcoholics and addicts clean and sober is when we help other people. So I was, like, running around trying to help every single person I possibly could, you know. All right. So what drove you to actually write the first book, which is now part of this book? What was it that got you to write The Struggle? that drove you to say okay i need to tell this story was it something well what was it i guess instead of me trying to guess (laughs) well um like i said a a big part of recovery is helping other people and one way we do that is at these 12-step meetings we volunteer to speak and share our stories so i was doing that constantly back then early in recovery and after i shared my story at a meeting this guy came up to me and he was like, hey, kid, you know, you should write a book. You're going to help a lot of people someday. 
And uh, it kind of planted a seed, you know what I mean? Because I didn't go home right then and there and write it, but it planted a seed. It got the idea spinning in my head. And I think it was a couple weeks, maybe a couple months later, I, I decided, you know what I'm going to do? And I sat down and I just started writing because I wanted to help other people. I figured my story can help a lot of people when I share it at a meeting. How many people can I help if I wrote it in a book and people everywhere can read it, you know? so Right. Yeah. All right. Now, you, the book is obviously called 10 Years Later. Yes. Is the subtitle of it. What what do you discuss for the 10 years later? Is it your life? Is it the struggle you're still going through? What do you go on to that? Yes, um, pretty much both. Like there, there, There's both happy and sad things that happened in the past 10 years of my life, right? Um, for example, I wanted to show people that because my, my last my last book just kind of ended when I had two years clean and sober and I didn't really have anything like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I had like a job at a rehab, but like there was nothing really going on in my life. But now, you know, like I'm married, I'm working at the Free Library of Philadelphia, you know, I, I was talking about like not having a house or a car back then. Now I have the house and the car. So I wanted to update people on all that stuff because that stuff does come with time when you're sober long enough, you know? But I also talked a lot about stuff that happened like, I lost cousins. I lost like my, my brother and I lost my dad. And I wanted to show people that even through all these tragedies, I did not have to pick up a drink or get high. I was able to stay clean and sober through all the stuff that happened. No, even, you know, like you would think like if, if you're going to relapse, losing a brother or losing a father, that might do it. That might be the time when people will relapse the most, like because they just can't deal with it. Mm -hmm. I wanted to show them that I was able to get through it because you don't have to pick up a drink or, or drunk no matter what happens. You get through anything and you, you don't you just don't need it. You know, that's that's basically the biggest point I was trying to stress. All right. Which makes sense. And it's a good message to also let people know, because, you know, that when you mentioned it earlier in the show about you lost your brother and lost your father and lost people in your life. I do know a lot of people use that as an excuse. I mean, the American culture alone, it's a fun culture, but at the same time, it's also, we encourage people to drink. We, yes. you drink, you drink when you're sad, you drink when you're happy, you drink when you're celebrating. So, I mean, with all that going on, it is, I do see the issue of trying to stay away from those during the good times and especially the bad when the bad time you have all these things pushing on you saying just not numb that pain a little bit yes absolutely so you also wrote a kid's book yes <laughs> and it's the monkey on my brother's back yes <laughs> so help me understand that a bit of i could i could at first when i first read it i accidentally read it the wrong going the monkey on my back and i'm sitting there going no wait a minute that's wrong the monkey on my brother's back so help me understand what that book is okay um it started out as a joke okay um like i said i work for the free library and i came across this book one day and you know i've realized now i should not have been laughing at this book when i found it but when i first read the title of this book if you see the cover it it's called The Night Dad Went to Jail. 
And it's like this little bunny rabbit in handcuffs being hauled off by police. And I was like, I, I just laughed at it when I first when I first saw it. So I was like, I should write a book like this. I'll be like, I'll call it the monkey on my brother's back, you know. And um, now, but now looking back on, it, I matured a little bit since then, right? And I realized, wow, there are kids who have parents who go to jail, and that book is probably really helpful for them. Right. So I I took my idea of the monkey on my brother's back, and I was like, there's probably kids out there who have brothers addicted to drugs. I know I did, you know, I was addicted to drugs myself too, but I also right. had a brother addicted to drugs. So maybe I should turn this book into an actual idea, you know? So that's what I did. I used the monkey as a metaphor for drugs and I, I drew it out. And it's about this kid who his parent, his, uh, his brother hangs out with the bad kids and, you know, the parents tell him don't hang out with them, but he hangs out with them anyway. They break into a zoo and he gets a monkey stuck on his back. You know, so. All right. And what age group did you tend to write this book for? Uh, for young kids, like toddlers, because um, it, it's a it's a picture book. So okay. I would say, yeah, anywhere up to like five, six years old. Yeah. All right. And then with that, what type of shenanigans or different things that happen in the book for the kids book? Because obviously you're trying to teach kids to stay away from drugs, I have to imagine, yes. in the book. Yes. So most kids are young enough. I know like my son, he's almost five years old. If I, as an adult, I understand the monkey on the back is symbolism for drugs. Yes. But a toddler or a young child, I don't see picking that up. So what do you do in the book that, or what do you story do you tell in the book to help kids know, stay away from drugs or stay away from prob- problematic things? Yeah, well, you're right. Like kids probably won't pick up on on the drug aspect of it, but the the main point that I was trying to uh, express in the book is like to listen to your parents. You know? Okay. Because like in this book, this kid he just he doesn't listen to his parents. He hangs out with these kids. They they throw rocks at cars. They write on the walls, and then they break into a zoo. They steal candy from the store. And when they break into a zoo, this monkey gets stuck on his back. And now, you know, the cops can't get it off. The fire department can't get it off. Same way the drugs will work, right? Because cops can't get the drugs, can't get people to stop doing drugs. Uh, firefighters can't get people to stop doing drugs. And they have to send them to, like, a special monkey doctor, you know, that would um, that could get the <laughs> monkey off his back. You know, rehab. Right. Okay. <laughs> well, that's interesting. So. Yeah. With that book, did you write that as a parallel, or obviously you wrote that from your own experience. Did you write that after you wrote my, The Struggle, or did you write that beforehand? Yeah, I, I wrote that while I was writing this new book, um, the 10 Years Later book. Um, you know, I, I wrote the 10 Years Later, I wrote the first draft, and I was kind of taking a break to go back to it. So during that time is when I, when I wrote the, uh, the Monkey on My Brother's Back. All right. So was there something that you discovered, I guess, while writing? Because most people, I don't see a whole lot of discovery in kids' books from writers, but usually memoirs help you discover things you forgot or feelings that you didn't think about. Like, I'm working on a memoir myself now, and I'm realizing, like, at the very first chapter, there's things that happen that I really haven't thought about in years and years. So what was, 
was there anything between either of the books that you, the 10 years, the, the struggle 10 years later or the monkey on my brother's back, was there anything that came out in your memory or recognition that just hit you while working on either of those books? Yeah, absolutely. Um, especially like when I wrote the when I wrote the original one, I actually had to go on Facebook and ask people like to tell me stories about myself when I was drunk and high that I because I was drunk and high, I wouldn't remember them, right? Right. So I had a, I had a lot of people like, right, hey, remember that time you peed in the flower pot? Like I was like, "Oh yeah." <laughs> like I forgot <laughs> about that, you know? Like so there was a lot of that like a lot of them stories are pulled through other people's perspectives you know because especially early on in my drunk days i didn't remember a lot of that you know but yeah but as i like as i went on as i wrote the story it felt like the more i wrote the the more i remembered the more it started coming back to me you know and when i when i rewrote this the second time I was, there was a lot of stuff too like oh yeah i forgot that happened and be like and I had to I had to add even more and then more and then more. It was just it felt like I was constantly adding and adding, and that made it harder later on when I had to subtract. You know, had to had to cut the story down a little bit because it was so long. You know, right. So what was it that I guess what was the whole strength of the you found in writing? Because well, I should ask, did you find strength in it, or did it help you? from writing because I've spoken with other people who have on the show, in fact, who have written, they've written non or fiction books to deal with their, their demons deal with the addiction and build themselves back up or build strength. And they said that they found strength from just writing about it as well. Is that the same thing for you or was it a completely different feeling? Yeah, no, absolutely. I I've definitely found strength. Um, so my my writing actually originated like my love for writing originated through writing hip hop music. Um, I used to I used to be a hip hop writer. You know, um, I had to give it up after I got clean and sober because, you know, like that whole scene is just involved with nothing but drugs and alcohol. So I gave it up after a couple of years. But but when I first got clean and sober, I used hip hop to to write about my, my experiences. And, and it was so therapeutic, you know, and that, I think that's what also kind of inspired me to write this book. Cause I figured it would be the same way. And it absolutely was. Cause when I wrote this book, it was good just to write that all down and get it out there to finally let all my secrets out and just, just put it all out there for the world to see. You know what I mean? I understand. So here's a question for you is, you said you talked to a lot of people trying to get stories and get things to remember what happened. What reaction, I have to assume family members and other people that you were friends with read your book. Yes. I mean, at least one or two, maybe if all of them, but <laughs> normally at least one or two friends read the book. Yeah. What is like, I can't, I'll, no reason I say this. I can't even get my wife to pick my book up to look at it. So <laughs> The question is, is what kind of feedback did you get from them when you were discussing in your books all the things that you've done about your struggles, about recovery and what so have you? Uh, most of the reactions were positive. They, they all thought it was a great book. 
Um, and, and, you know, for the longest time, I thought, like, oh, they, they're saying that because they know me. You know what I mean? But then I started reading, like, good reviews, like, from people that I'd never even met before, you know? So I was like, okay, maybe they're being honest then, you know? But um, the one person who really picked my book apart was my sister, Kim. You know, she uh, she went through it, and she I'm so grateful for her because she went through it and was like, you know, you don't really explain this part very well. And, and you, you, Uncle Bill, you talk about Uncle Bill on dad's side or mom's side. And like she had she she picked out all this stuff. And I was like, wow. So when I rewrote the book, mm-hmm. I used a lot of her notes that she wrote because she like she gave me a whole list of notes that I needed to fix. And I went back and fixed them all. And it was, it was really it was really great to have someone close to me who knew most of my story. You know, it really helped me out that way. You know. Oh, yeah. Family's always. Family that's willing to be honest with you and not just say, yeah. oh, yeah, good job. Congratulations, you wrote a book. I'm sure it's great. It's always uh-huh. good to have, like, my mom's the same way where she'll go through it and just tear apart going, no, is that real or things like that. So yeah, <laughs> it's always good to have family members that are at least willing to not be so gentle with you. Exactly. Because, you know, it's not something you always need. And did basically do you have other people outside of your circle you said you got good reviews and things like that for on the book have you had other people and i'm not asking for who or the stories behind them but has people given you feedback personally outside of your friends and family of your book helping them or giving them any directions yes um like when i when i first wrote the book you know, I made um like a Facebook page for the book or whatever, and I would periodically I'll just have random people I've never met before. We have no mutual friends. They would write to me and tell me like, "Yo, your book helped me so much." Um, I remember this one person talk about how she was actually addicted to drugs, and she ended up robbing someone and stealing their book. Like they broke into someone's house and they stole the book. Like, why they were robbing the house. And she read it, and it made her, like, want to go to rehab and try to get her life together. And You know, that was years ago. I don't know how they're doing now, but right. I, th- I thought that was really cool. I was like, wow, like, my book is actually helping people, you know? And uh, yeah. It's weird it had to be stolen to be a tool, yeah. but, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I guess there was some good out of the robbery. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I doubt the people that were robbed sees it that way, but yeah, probably not. (laughs) Yeah. But it's good that it's out there helping people and helping at least them starting to get recovered, starting to find a path to living a healthier life. Do you have any real suggestions for people like for somebody that say is either just starting to accept they need to go into recovery and get help or somebody that's in it, what would you say to them? Like, what would you suggest for them to find either in your book or what's not in your book that you think they should know? Yeah. Well, if you, if you're addicted to drugs and you feel like you need help, go get it like right now. Don't, don't wait till tomorrow or next week because as addicts, whenever we say, Oh yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to get help next week. Next week comes and, now you don't want the help no more. And, and any addict out there that's listening knows exactly what I'm talking about. So if you ever feel the urge that you really need help, go out and get it right away. And if you have a loved one who comes to you saying, hey, I need to go to rehab, get them in rehab right away. Don't wait till tomorrow. 
Because, like, by tomorrow, they might change their mind, you know? All right. And then, finally, from the other perspective, if somebody knows that they basically are, they have somebody that is addicted, like you said, is there anything you can think of? Because from my experience and my understanding, if somebody's not ready for help, they're not going to get it. Yeah, that's true. So is there anything that you think could help somebody guide their family or friends to get the help? Yes. Uh, first off, um, if you are enabling them, if you're letting them live at your house, if you're giving them money, food, anything like that, stop. I know, I know it's so difficult to do, but you have to show them that tough love because See, it's, as long as they have it nice, they have a place to live, they have money, blah, 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 they're getting high, they're not going to ever want to get help. But if you kick them out in the street, stop getting the money, cut them off, now, now they're going to be living homeless, they're, they're going to have to struggle to try to get that next $10. Now they're going to start wanting, okay, maybe I should get some help, you know, because that's how it was for me. Like, I was living with my brother, and my brother kicked me out of the house, and I was I had to, like, uh, you know, I, I stayed at my friend's house and I stayed at my other friend's house and then I would have to go live on a, or sleep on a park bench one night. And it was hard. And I was just like, no, I need to do something. Man. Like, and that, it helps to hit that rock bottom a lot faster when you cut them off like that. And I, I know it's so difficult for people to do because they're your family members and you love them. But that is really the truest way to help them. But you have to let them know, too, that, look, when you're ready, I'm here for you. But I just can't. I can't continue help helping you to get high. Makes sense. And sounds like fantastic advice as far as I'm aware. So mm -hmm. Ryan, it's been amazing talking with you. I've really enjoyed it. So what I want to do is thank you for being here, obviously. Thank you for having me. Like I said, it was definitely my pleasure. What I'd like to do is let everyone know that you have a profile on authorblurb.com where your website, which will also be in the show notes, the links to, I think it's your Goodreads or other places to find you is in the profile that we yeah. have for you on authorblurb.com. Other than authorblurb.com, if somebody wants to reach out to you, where do they go? What's the best way for them to get in contact with questions or comments? Um, well, you can go to my website, brianstormbooks.com, or just email me at brianstormbooks.com. Sorry, brianstormbooks at gmail.com, or I'm also on Twitter at brianstormbooks. Sounds perfect. So, like I said, I'll have that information there so that people can find you. And with that being said, again, thank you. I'm going to have you hold on for just a few moments. Sure. We're going to end the conversation for everybody else, and then you and I will keep talking for a few moments longer. All right. Sounds good. Thanks, man. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. You can go to authorblurb.com where there's plenty of stuff there for you to find. Enjoy another author. Enjoy finding that book that you love. So take the time. Do me a favor. Share. Subscribe. Enjoy the show and tell others. Thank you. Okay.